Hello again and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast, the podcast for anyone interested in the UK's temperature controlled supply chain. I'm Shane Brennan, Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. We've brought you lots of different types of content in the past few months. For example, last week's episode was a recording of the fascinating conversation I chaired between some of the leading academic brains in our industry and how we understand the net zero carbon challenge in a way that makes sense for operators in the cold chain. However, today we're returning to our core brief, which is to bring you insights about our industry from the people that lead it. Cold chain leaders tend to be have one thing in common. They tend to want to get on with their job rather than talk about it. However, invariably, they have considered insightful and valuable things to say about where our industry is and how we face up to the challenges and opportunities ahead. Today's guest fits that brief, and I can't wait to get into the conversation. But before then, here is your regular reminder that you can subscribe to the Cold Chain Podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Google, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via the Cold Chain Federation website. If you like our content and don't want to miss an episode, then why not hit the subscribe button and then every episode will appear in your smartphone or tablet whenever it's published. Also, we need your help to spread the word. You can do that first by leaving us a review or rating on the podcast platform. That will help increase our visibility in the relevant rankings. Or even better, tell others about us. Share links to this and other episodes on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Finally, if you have any suggestions for topics or people I should be talking to, let me know. Get in touch with me on email, info at coldchainfed.org.uk or on Twitter at Cold Chain Shane. The more we talk and share, the more we all learn together. So on to today's episode. My guest today is Dean Atwell, who along with his wife Sally have owned and run Redditch-based Oakland International since 1999. Hi Dean, welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Hello Shane. Dean, rather than me doing it, perhaps you could tell us in your own words about Oakland International as it is today? Yeah, thank you, Shane. Thanks for the opportunity to um, to, to share some views as well today. So, uh, yeah, Oakland International started in um, well, 23 years ago, November 98. Um, so 23 years young and started off in my, my original brief was uh, to try and continue with the family farming op- operation that we'd uh, been involved in many years before that, which my dad set up, um, stumbled into um, frozen uh, storage and distribution uh, at, the, at the front end uh, almost by accident and I think I've heard a few people have stumbled into this industry as well and um, we developed uh, a, a service portfolio that was very reactive it, it filled us up very quickly and we were quickly chasing new opportunities really going forward and we moved into ambient storage non-foods and then we established uh, a bit of a niche in 2002 with chilled operations and um, grew rapidly from there offering uh, a consolidated case distribution solution for predominantly small producers going into large and small retailers and um, over the years added a portfolio of services around that which have always been focused on being a multi-temperature provider so chilled frozen and ambient although um, frozen has been uh, probably around about 15 percent of our business but has supported our chilled operations all the way through and um, as it stands today, we're still going through rapid growth um, because we, fortuitously, we're in a, a sector of the market that has been quite resilient through the pandemic and also in direct-to-consumer um, deliveries as well. So that's been fairly exponential in growth this last uh, 12 to 18 months as well. So at the moment, we have three depots in the UK, in Barden, Corby and Redditch, and one in Dublin. We've been in Dublin now for uh, 12 years, and that's growing strong. We just got completed an extension there as well. And uh, we're looking to, to, well, we put 35% growth on last year, and we're looking to do at least the same again this year. So it's um, it's, it's looking all right. It's been a tough year, but um, we've had a tough last 12 months, really. And But we're excited about the future. 
Wow. Thank you, Dean. Exactly. That, that, that's the thing. One thing I would encourage anyone to do is go on the Oakland website and have a look at your sort of history kind of uh, about your business because it really sort of tells the story of a, of a sort of entrepreneurial business that's grown through harnessing opportunities. And you kind of already answered it, but I'm going to sort of, sort of ask you to sort of restate it really is you say you fell into storage distribution. So when you started the business, when you were an egg farming business back in, 90, in the 90s, did you have a sense of what you would become today? Was, that, was there a kind of plan to that? No. Um... And, and I know that's not the best answer in terms of business strategy. And, and I have been asked to speak on um, a, a few occasions in the past about, you know, there was this, this brilliant strategy that we must have had at the start of our journey. But no, it was it was a tough time. And, um, you know, the strategy that we originally set in, in the first uh, foundation years of the business was all about um, egg production, actually, because that's what I knew best. And that wasn't working for us. The market had shifted and um, it was a real struggle. So we lost money in that first year and it was more about survival in the first um, first three years, really, and, and finding our feet and finding something that people wanted to buy. Uh, and, you know, I took on a second job driving trucks just to pay the bills um, and kept that going for the first couple of years. Um, and then eventually got to the stage where we could employ a couple of people and moved into, I mean, Chilled was the, the breaking ground for us. Frozen got us into a break-even position and then Chilled enables to grow. Uh, and then we added the frozen services primarily because we're not a big frozen operator per se but um, we thought well how do we extract more value out of the limited frozen offer that we have and, and we, we sort of pioneered our way through uh, tempering and date coding up tempering of, of foods for small producers going into large retailers and trying to kill food wastage and, and uh, drive costs down in that area but um, I mean really we've been following the market and the strategy wasn't really set until about 2005 2006 when we, we deliberately said we'll focus on uh, providing a great solution for the smaller retailers because we, we, we knew we were never going to be the biggest, but actually we could probably be uh, probably the biggest in one sector. And um, convenience was a, a key target for us because we could develop relationships with those retail buyers, which is quite difficult with larger retailers because people change so quickly and it's a different playing field, I guess. Uh, and that worked really well for us. So, you know, having having a, a customer base that was prepared to work with uh, work with us on their smaller retail supply chain, it gave us an opportunity to go after their their, their core big five as well. And um, it's, it's it's worked well for us. But being market centric is something we've always been, and being at the front foot, trying to lead the way rather than follow, is something we've we've practiced today as well. Yeah, that that finding of that kind of solving a problem. I mean, that's kind of at the core of what cold chain is all about. But particularly businesses that find that kind of that that need in the supply chain that so that no one else can really fulfil, and then actually exploiting that is probably the case in point for 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 Oakland as I would see it from the outside. I also need to say that you know convenience is very close to my heart because I spent twelve years um, in the Association of Convenience Stores. So the sorts of customers that you service are the sorts of people that I used to represent um, back uh, back in the day. Um, so very 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 keen on that. Um, one thing that I've also noticed is that you, you've been, you've harnessed, you looked at, and you've jumped on opportunities. So something like the distress load business is something that's really interesting. Um, is that that's obviously still part of what you do? How how did you get into that, and what is it? Yeah, that's so distress load management is. Um a name we gave to a gap in the marketplace that uh, I, mean, I, I hate food wastage chain so it's something that was very close to my heart where um, we'd, we'd see lorries turning up at our back store and I'm sure other other members see exactly the same thing where lorries arrived, arrived from a port location and it's evident that someone's been in the back of it and, and the number of clandestine infiltrations that come into the UK that, that aren't reported, that aren't dealt with is, is quite staggering and, and I'd, I'm not 
sure whether it's a closely guarded secret or not, but I know there was when we started looking at this, there was about 26,000 immigrants or estimated to have been found in the back of uh, or travelled over on the back of trucks, uh, which you know many bus operators would love that sort of traffic. So, um, so there was clearly a problem with um, food being put at risk and. If it was discovered and a, a, a brand owner, well, probably the haulier more often than not would, would discover um, there was evidence of someone in the back of the truck, then some brand owners or many brand owners would just say, well, there's no way of dealing with this. We don't know what the, the potential contamination has been and they would reject the whole load and, and that would be left with the haulier to deal with, big claim. Um, but typically you'd have 90% of the food that's on that truck would be unaffected. You know, there was there was clearly risk on some pallets. And um, we first started this with a, with a Spanish haulier. Uh, it was an owner-driver owner whose business would potentially have been put at risk with a £60,000 claim on stock that was... Um, to my mind, nothing wrong with it. So we, we applied some very basic principles of inspection. We put a bit of science behind it in terms of um, food hygiene swabs that, that we had on site for our own um, you know, high care area. And um, we produced a report that said that 90% of that load was good to go. And then it became an insurance conundrum to say, well, actually, we, we, we're, um, we're, we're not going to be throwing or pay, paying for food that's evidently um, not damaged or at risk, and uh, it saved the the haulier, you know, 90% of his claim. So, and we just developed that, and we got EHO involved in FSA and trading standards, and just said, look, well, this is what we're doing. Can you see any issues with it? And and ultimately, they said, no, we can't. And um, we've been doing that ever since. So it's been going for about 17 years now, uh, and we we handle anything up up to 10, 12 loads a week, and our average recovery rate is about 85%. So it's something that's there. It's growing again now because trucks are slowing down at ports and that's always the the risk factor when when immigrants get on the back of the vehicles and they cause damage but typically it's, it's two or three pallets that get uh, written off on a load now but um, it's, it's fulfilling a food wastage criteria as well as an insurance um, challenge as well I'm, I'm sure yeah no it's really really interesting and i know that you thank you to oakland for the support you've given us in producing guidance to help operators understanding the nature of this because it's one of those like you say hidden issues in the chain that that is a very real cost and, and, and has that kind of environmental food waste impact and that business impact. So, you know, thinking about things like that and knowing there are solutions for it is a, is a really important thing. Um, thank you, Dean. So moving on then to talk about sort of a bit about, a bit about yourself. So um, obviously you've sort of, it's already come through that sort of sense of entrepreneurial drive and, and harnessing opportunities and focusing on the next thing. But how do you, how do you stay motivated sort of 20 odd years into to running the business? Yeah, I think it's, look, we're, we're driven by, growth and finding new solutions to new challenges um, moving very very quickly with the the marketplace I mean, you have to be a bit careful I guess in, in we are an entrepreneurial business and, and fast moving um, and you know we see an opportunity we'll we will normally go after it as long as it fits strategically within a brief that um, it's, it's supply chain related if it has environmental credentials it has social credentials as long as it fits what we can do and it doesn't um, you know cannibalize any of the other operations then we will research it fully and and and, and test it and uh, if it works we'll release it and um, we do try and keep strategic uh, 
changes it's sort of fairly confined to a small group of people before we release it to the rest of the business because it's very easy to get distracted you know and what's Dean doing now and what's he doing this for and what have you but uh, but no I, I think the energy associated with finding um, a new opportunity that that's what drives me and I love working with new brands that are coming into the marketplace and we're very fortunate to um, for example we sponsor the free from awards each year and that does expose you to some some great companies that um, are very on trend um, you know very enthusiastic enthusiastic and passionate about the brand and um, I, I guess you absorb people's passion so if someone's passionate about their brand and we're passionate about it you know nothing gives me greater thrill than seeing someone deliver success especially if it's a small company growing through um, you know a, a rapid market transition um, so yeah I think anything the new keeps you keeps you young doesn't it you know we don't want to stagnate do we <laughs> no. no well absolutely not and that's that, that's really uh, reassuring to hear I mean I also I, I picked out the words in there and you know and I know it's very very true of you the, that's what that sort of ethical environmental social kind of motivation behind what you underpinning what you do you definitely walk that walk and obviously you've had the, the Oakland Foundation's been around for 10 years now is that right uh, yes, yeah, since uh, well, 2012 we we launched that. Um, yeah, it's going strong, and we've we've, we've just uh, we set that up originally because we've always been charitable from from the start. Because I always believed that you know good business should give back, and uh, we we draw from the community. We should give back to the community. You know, our people come from that community that we we should be supporting. And um, you know, being a smaller company in the early days when we set up the foundation, it was. We didn't really have a clear CSR policy. We just tried to help as many people as we could, but we didn't feel that we were having that much effect. And I think this is true to a lot of people who give money to good causes. And you think, well, is my £5 a week or £50 a month going to make a big difference? And I'm sure it does. And there's some great charities out there. Um, and we still have uh, you know, a general CSR contribution. So we'll get behind any charity that we, we find that's good um, as much as we can. But we do try and focus our efforts now on... We discovered that... Um, locally uh, that we had a, a, a child poverty issue in in our area and you you just you know, it really shocked me it was when I was working with the local council on an economic developments group theme group and and all of a sudden you had these stats that were presented to you and they were talking about child poverty and I thought well surely they're talking about somewhere in you know one of the deprived areas of we all talk about you know where there's riots and you know people places in London or you know Liverpool Manchester you know places where you it must be somewhere else but not not Redditch not you know boring old Redditch it's just something that you don't associate with and I thought well if we've got child poverty locally um, this must be repeated all over the country and then I learned about you know workplace income and household income and the differences and depravity that's caused through poor wages so you know it, it drove some of our strategies just in terms of how we how we position workforce payments as well so that's when we adopted a strategy of being no less than 20 percent above minimum wage or 10 percent above living wage now because um, I'm, I'm a massive supporter of that i think people you know if you're, if you're trying to bring up kids two or three kids on a, on a, on a minimum wage it's, it's it's impossible almost you know and, and to be able to keep your kids out of poverty so um so we put the foundation in place to um just to direct the fundraising that we were giving and this was just cash money that we were putting in and resource and volunteer hours etc just dealing with local area at Reddish and Bromsgrove area just to try and deal with root causes and see whether we can make a difference and try and bring other companies on board with us on the journey because you know I think to, together everyone achieves more is the old saying isn't it um, and and you know fair to say I think we have made a big difference we try and stay with families for a journey it's not just a, a one-hit wonder where we, we throw some cash at a problem and then we walk away um, so we, we've engaged with most of the local schools and very very close 
relationships with a number of them. Uh, and we get to know the teachers, we get to know the kids. Um, our, our, our team do go out to visit the schools and, you know, whether it be reading lessons or, or um, going out and helping on one of the, some of the cook classes. Uh, active Kitchens is something we've been very active in as well. And, and you build a relationship and uh, it develops a social conscience amongst your workforce. And, you know, I've, I've been advocating actually, there's, you know, those businesses that need to have an excuse to invest in, um, in a CSR agenda. There is definitely a, a payback if you want to pay back in terms of engagement. So if you can increase engagement from your workforce through social initiatives, then a more engaged workforce is a more productive workforce and a more productive workforce is more profitable. So I think if people want to pay back, not that you should need an excuse for it, um, then there is one there. Well, that's that, that, that you've, you've preempted the question I was going to ask you, but that sense of, that sense of being proud to be an Oakland employee probably resonates out of that kind of activity um, amongst, amongst the workforce. Yeah, it does. And, and um, I think that, you know, there's... The people that we're we're reaching in the communities, it's we're known, and we don't do it for publicity. You don't see us promoting what we do in the community, you know, on, in national press and stuff. Although, if we, if we thought that we can get more businesses engaged on the initiative, then we would do. It's not about blowing our own trumpets; it's about doing, trying to do some good. And you know, the, the, I think court, you touched on culture there, and, and culture is massively important to us. And a lot of people say people are their biggest asset, um, but. You know, I wonder how many people actually truly walk that walk with their people. But, you know, we try and make sure we're behind our people every step of their journey with Oakland, whether if they've got a, a family issue, we're behind them. If, they, if they're if running short of money, we desperately keep them away from Wonga, which I object to most strongly because, you know, these debt traps that people fall into. So we, we have our own hardship loan for our own Wonga equivalent, but we don't, we don't, we charge, you know, minimal, minimal interest. You have to put some interest on it because you wouldn't be allowed to do it. But, um, um, but it's a way of keeping people away from the um, the debt trap which itself you know charity starts at home so you've got to try and keep your own people out of uh, poverty in the first instance and and they know that and they talk you know and it's important they do because you know it's not sometimes they do say you're only three steps away from major steps away from being homeless so you know it's it's you know fortuitously we we where we are but um you know any one of our team members could end up homeless through um you know something they might be embarrassed to talk about so we encourage them to talk talk to each other we've got our own um you know helpline and care line and and you know they can't talk to someone on site they can talk to someone off site so it does start at home and and i think that resonates in terms of the culture in the business and i guess that that staff welfare consideration comes to the fore during the last 12 months during covid i mean how have how's Co- oakland cope with the sort of the challenge of working in a covid safe environment yeah it's a great question and, and you know one that i'm in incredibly proud to answer in terms of the way our team have performed and responded and we we wrote to everyone at the start of the lockdown and we'll all remember when when it was announced and the fear factor of the unknown and and people were frightened you know we've we've none of us would be um honest with ourselves if we didn't say there were some concerns over what we were being told and you know all of a sudden there were stats that one in ten of you could be affected and half of those could be dead in four weeks and you know it's been an awful time but you know when you when you stood on the edge of that precipice and saying actually guys you know class as key workers um, and we wrote to everyone and said look you know there's, there's there's a duty that we've got in terms of what we do in terms of feeding the nation our part in feeding the nation uh, along with you know everyone else who's essential key workers and we said first and foremost you know you, you've got to do this for your country and secondly it's for your family because there's jobs there and thirdly it's for your business and we gave it in that order and you know they didn't need any more encouragement and we've, we've had you know really proud to say we've probably had our lowest 
absence and sickness levels all the way through um, last year than we've ever had. So there was none of this um, people using it as an excuse. You know, we, you always get some people pulling sickies, don't you? But there's, we've had far less instances of that in the last 12 months than we've ever had. And, and people have stood up and, and been counted. And, you know, some people have had to be shielded for obvious reasons. Um, and we've, we've looked after those. But there's been no gripes from the people who've been in work covering the people who aren't in work for all the right reasons. So, you know, we spent a lot of money on innovations on on you know we put shield um, tunnels in place these dry mist tunnels which I, I think they've worked well um, there's, there's a new type of uh, fogging system we put into to fog the warehouses and um, the canteens etc um, there's loads of loads of work gone on on hygiene and bubble management we've all done I think great work in, in our industry sector and you know one thing that you know, apart from being proud of the way our team have worked through this, you know, I'm incredibly proud of our, our sector overall because, you know, largely unsung heroes, you know, because there's this supply chain, you know, we, we've coped with some pretty drastic fluctuations in demand. And there's a lot of lot of people in supply chain have, have struggled because they've been exposed to the horrible sector in a big way, which, you know, and, and they've, they've reinvented themselves in many ways. And um, but those people who have seen, you know, that surge or that, that erratic nature of demand change that we've we've had to go through and we've stood up and been counted all the way through and you know we've kept the shelves full so um you know i think hats off to the industry and i'm, I'm very proud to be part of it yeah couldn't put it better myself dean and i feel very very humbled by that as well and i think it's kind of on the job of the cold chain federation to to make sure people remember that you know not not you know not, not just, just in that very practical way of you know the important role that we that we play right i need to ask you about something before we move on to the to the next bit which is um Arctic and Antarctic exploring. Is, 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 this, is this basically about brand cold chain? Please tell me that it is. Basically, is he reinforcing the brand? I should have got you to sponsor me for this, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, absolutely. No, this is, uh, some people say it's a midlife crisis. I don't know, actually. But it, it was, um, it, it's funny, just, it went back to my first ever outdoor challenge i've never really been into big time into sports you know i go to the gym and try and stay fit and healthy but um uh, first big challenge that uh, you know that i would have associated normal people don't do was climb kilimanjaro and that was just a bit of a, a team initiative there's nine of us from work um it was a, a silly suggestion and we thought well that looks good and then we took it really seriously and trained really hard for it and we got to the where all of us summited which is fantastic but um but the the feeling it, when you get to the top of of Killy was uh, was just I don't know the only thing I can relate to is like when you first child's born so it was just complete euphoria and it was like a drug then and um, I, I I sort of let it uh, sort of let rest for a while and then um, I thought no I've got I'm, I'm itching to do something else and then someone suggested the North Pole is our electrician who actually he didn't do it with me but um, he, he he was talking about doing it and dead serious until it came to the, the time to that, commit. That sounds like me I'm the sort of person that would say yeah that sounds like a great idea yeah never to do it. it was a pub conversation that I thought you know people like me don't do things like that but um, I phoned them up I plucked up the courage to phone these guys up polar explorers in um, Chicago and um, and I said look is it something that normal people can do? And they said, well, you know, it's 80% mental, 20% physical. So I thought, okay, if you can, they, give, they gave me the training program. So if you can commit to that um, and, and you can get your head in the right place, you'll do it. So, um, so yeah, I signed up for it and, and trained for 18 months and, and got to the North Pole. And um, yeah, it was a, it, <laughs> one of the toughest things I've done. And um, I swore I wouldn't do it again uh, or anything like that again, because it was, it was really, really tough. Um, but we got through it. And, um, but it wasn't, 
wasn't really quite the same feeling when we got there because it was it was a uh, not as killy anyway but when we got to the, the north pole it was just because it's no fixed point it's just the same scenery as you've had for the previous two weeks so um you just get there and say oh this, the compass says we're here okay thanks but um it was uh, we were absolutely knackered um we'd, we'd skied for 36 hours straight because the ice was moving it was breaking up and we had to get off the ice quickly so we only just got there uh, with an hour or so to, 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 to spare um so that was a bit of a dampener for me um and and um and they did tell me polar explorers did warn me so most people who do the north will do the south or vice versa so I said, nah that ain't gonna happen but a year later i thought yeah maybe i should and um i signed up for the south pole then and uh very different experience there though and very different type of cold you know this is <laughs> qualified to talk about types of cold the north is a very yeah. wet cold the south is a very dry cold and um but which, I, one's, I, which one's better which one's worse um north is worse yeah. yeah, by some degree. I got the wrong type of sleeping bag, really, because the, the bag was just absorbing all the moisture. And, um, okay. yeah, it was, it, yeah, it's, it's warmer at the north than it was at the south. I mean, we were down to minus 40 odd at the south, but um, the north, I think the lowest was about minus 25. So it's, but it felt colder. Wow. Yeah. But interesting experience. But the big thing, though, the big, big claim to fame is that Lewis Moody's team was, um, he was doing a, he got about 18 people in his team uh, and they set off before us only by about four hours. Um, but I said to our guide, there's only four of us in our crew, but I said to our guide, we've got to meet, got to beat those guys, got to beat them. And he said, it's not a competition. I said, it is a competition with British. It's a competition. <laughs> so, you so, think so... Uh, and we beat him by eight hours. So it was, uh, wow. yeah, I was chuffed. Well, they, well that, there you go. So you've beat, you've beaten an England rugby star. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a really nice guy, actually, as well. I got to know him when we got back to base camp, which is Brilliant. superb. Brilliant. Well, fa fascinating. Fascinating just experience. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of it. Uh, so let's move on to talk about um, um, about the industry a little bit. I mean, we've already talked about it quite a lot, but just so I, as obviously I sort of always ask people to sort of give their sense of where we are as cold chain. I know that's not one defined thing, but what's your sort of take on the cold chain today what do you think are the main strengths and opportunities in cold chain and where do you think the main threats are i think we've um my my take on it is uh, i'm the eternal optimist really but i think whilst you know i'm not one of the people who agreed with brexit i, I think it's a lot of hassle that's that's happened that was unnecessary but there's different people have different views and that's that and they're fine we'll deal with what we've got but i think it's created opportunities um that i think this sector would be well advised to take advantage of because i think we've been undervalued for an awful long time and uh, we've been it's been a bit of a race to the bottom is everyone you know people move because they can get a penny off the storage rate or a penny off the rhd rate or they think they can get saving money on transport but you know we we should be we should be proud enough of what we do and our capabilities and we do a damn good job actually in terms of i know we're a small island but we, you know we enviably the, the most enviable supply chain solution in the world in terms of the speed and what we get out of it um so uh, but i think we're too cheap you know there's too many operators that are sitting at you know two and three percent margin and that's not sustainable in the long term so i think that i'm not i'm not i don't think we should be as an industry thinking that be feeling guilty about making sensible profits that allow reinvestment because the industry needs reinvestment and i i think you know my my thoughts are there's an opportunity for prices to to move up not because we want to make more profit 
uh, uh, for our own benefit, but to actually, um, which is our benefit, I guess, because we want to invest in our businesses. But if people's purpose is to invest in, you know, better equipment, more energy efficient equipment, uh, you know, getting the environmental credentials of businesses up and buying a new fleet that is more more fuel efficient, um, that, you know, that sustainability going, sustainability going forward can only pay dividends that, that you know, to, it's playing it forward in terms of your ability to reinvest and therefore make more margin, which you can then reinvest in. We, we should be the best cold stores in the world. We should have the best trucks in the world. Um, and, you know, I think that you know, the, the collaboration elements of, of the industry, I've always been a massive collaborator or fan of collaboration. And um, that's one thing I will say is, you know, you and your team, Shane, are doing a great job trying to promote that, is that there's an opportunity for more of us to collaborate to mutual benefit two and two can equal five and you know we don't we're all, we're chasing each other up the motorways we're, we're competing unnecessarily in in commodity services and we we shouldn't really be thinking of ourselves as a commodity service it's uh, you know we're on about national food security and i think there's an opportunity here just to remind people as they have been reminded over the last 12 months of the resilience of what we've created and um you know if it had fallen down i think people would have been you know quite rightly there would have been panic on the streets and um you know people would say well let's throw 200 million at the, the, the food security they haven't had to do that you know the government hasn't had to step in on our sector none of us have had rates relief none of us have had that external support funding coming in we've just dealt with it so i think that you know the industry if it comes together as as one and just wears wears its badge with pride and says actually guys we are worth a bit more than what you're paying and there's, there's good reason and actually you pay us a bit more we'll make a bit more profit but we'll demonstrate we'll do something good with that profit because you'll see you know shining new coal stores you'll see the energy credentials and you can you can tap into that you know people tap into our green credentials you know with yeah. pride which we want we, we encourage them to do that so look we're a green player you can have our green credentials because you're associated with us so so i think we're in a really good position shane i think that you know there'll be more i, th- I think there's gonna be more stock held in the uk because borders are a bit more you know challenging and um i think people will be wise to hold a bit more stock and um, probably be a bit less demanding of what we do you know you don't need something in four hours don't don't have it in four hours try and push push stock holding into the idcs as well so that you become less challenging on road miles and get more collaboration in there as well so i think we're in a good position for growth really good position yeah that's that's a really really positive really great answer it resonates massively with me all of what you've just said there i guess that environmental piece is the probably the the point i'll probably take that into obviously you know i note you know your the very clear ambition of Oakland international to be the first carbon neutral cold chain business in the uk that's your ambition um and i think that point about investing in the business is the key to that and it seems to me looking across the cold chain how realistic do you think the idea of net zero cold chain operations actually are I think it's, um, I absolutely think it's achievable and uh, there's got to be a will to to see environmental initiatives as as a as a business case because it is you know most mm-hmm. environmental initiatives whether it be solar I mean solar sitting there with seven to ten year payback you can look at um, uh, the simple things like voltage optimization and power factor correction uh, insulating your buildings better LED lighting all these low hanging fruit and if you're using any heat put CHP in heat conversion there's so many things that we're looking at um, um, we won't rule anything out but we're we're, we're hungry for knowledge and what's um, what's what's slightly concerning to me is that there's not enough knowledge shared. There are forums that are, 
are, are out there but you know who's the best solar panel provider you know i i i, I talk a lot about or, or share knowledge on on what we've done you know good and bad because we've made some thumping great cock-ups on what we've done before um but that's that should be shared because you don't you don't want other people to have a bad experience because if they've had a bad experience it might they they think oh that's it this environmental stuff is rubbish um but it's not and you know there's no one size fits all and we're on a a journey. Look, if we if we're not the first, it doesn't matter. It's not it's not a big red ribbon. We just we're just challenging ourselves on a timeline that I think will put us as the first. And mm-hmm. and those things that, that that we're working hard on at the moment are we've got to look at road miles because whatever happens on truck movements, you're never going to get really that greener truck. Um, mm-hmm. So you know what can we do in terms of uh, making that more environmentally friendly? Well, let's keep the trucks full and let's collaborate and let's take road miles off. And if you assume that 50% is net zero on a truck, then that's great. Um, and we'll, we'll push hard for that. But there are things you can do on trucks as well. Um, but then, you know, we're a big fan of, of solar because solar has a perfect profile in terms of our energy draw. It, it isn't the answer, of course, because we need, we need to draw energy at night, but we're looking at other forms of power generation, including including AD, you know, t- taking the food waste and let's use that energy from AD to feed the um, methane generators. An- anaerobic anaerobic yeah. digestion. Yes, right. Yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, and um, and then, you know, c- combine the heat and power for our heating solutions. We've got we've got rainwater collection. We treat our own sewage on site, which, you know, if, if and I'd encourage anyone on a low level, if you're paying for sewage disposal, um, put, a, put a, a sewage treatment plant in. They, they cost very little and we can mm-hmm. discharge to our, our local stream to a standard that's drinking quality and it's it's really really simple it amazes me every day you go through a reed bed and it's it's fantastic so these technologies aren't as expensive as what people think they are and uh, every one of them so far that we've looked at has got a payback some have worked um more effectively than others and, and some some haven't but you know with something that isn't working is probably a, a 12-year payback which is still not bad um yeah. but it's i know you know we're all competing it goes back to this argument that profits are precious and um what what have you got in terms of free profit to to invest in environmental initiatives so one of the reasons i say well let's push for more profits and then let's allocate some uh, investment to environmental because it will pay it will pay yeah i think i think your point about 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 pricing in the sector and stuff and 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 not not wanting to cut across the idea that it needs to be competitive but if we're going to listen to the 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 people at the other ends of our each end of our train whether it's the chain whether it's the manufacturers or the retailers who are absolutely well, are transitioning very fast into environmental credentials for their brand and their consumer proposition. They, we need to make sure that their, that their story encompasses their supply chain and that they are making long-term investments in their own supply chain, whether it's directly or through their partners. So understanding that kind of different dynamic to the dynamic of the last 20, 25 years is absolutely the core of the Cold Chain Federation mission, really, is to basically be the forum to discuss that and accept that if we are going to meet we're going to claim it we've got to we've got to do it um through it through investment um whether it's individual businesses or or the supply chain as a whole and it feels yeah. like that's the sort of thing that you sort of are getting buy-in for within within the oakland sort of customer base we we are slowly but you know it's it's you're, you're right though i mean it's, it's a triangle isn't it it's, it's us sat in the middle as as operators working with brand partners and their retail customers whether they be the the retailers themselves or their their direct to consumer um clients that, that they're working with but 
you know, very simple things. There are so many marginal gains that, you know, packaging, you know, product is overpackaged and, and, you know, pallets aren't filled correctly. And, you know, we, we've got too many trucks rolling around half full. And, you know, there's there's so much that, you know, proactive engagement with the, the retailers themselves. So, you know, can you order in four pallets? Can you order in four trucks? Can you change your delivery times to suit our, our road mile planning tool? Um, you know, can we, can we take some packaging out by putting RTP in there? Can we put closed loop systems in there? There is there there so much low-hanging fruit that will yield benefits for them, but they have to be shared. And, you know, there's too many retail discussions that we have where, oh, you know, can you deliver a saving? Yeah, we can save you a pound a case. All oh, right, thank you very much. We'll have that pound. Well, that isn't quite the spirit of the agreement that I would work to. I'd say, well, look, guys, come on, give us, give us a bit that we can reinvest as well, rather than just transfer it into a consumer price point because you're all competing with Aldi. And, and that's not what it's about you know let Audi do what they do let Tesco do what they do they're all doing a great job but it shouldn't be coming at the expense of us being able to reinvest in our industry yeah absolutely absolutely um Dean there's so much I could keep talking to you about but I'm conscious of the time I guess I'm gonna sort of sort of come into sort of my last question which is really about the future and obviously no no, no secrets required but how you know what what is next for you in, in Oakland in terms of in terms of the next year the year ahead how do you sort of what are the things you're really focused on well, we've got we've opened a new depot in in Baden, so we, we're um, we're focused on making sure that lands correctly. I mean, it's pretty it's it's getting pretty full at the moment, which is which is really good news. Um, we're, we're conscious that we 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 are a multifunctional business, and we've got various strands that we're pushing. So it's making sure we're resourcing correctly, and that we don't lose the the appropriate bandwidth because you know I'm only one person. We've got a great team of people around me. We've got a really proactive and supportive board who are entrepreneurial in their own right. So it. It's great, but you know, equally, you've got, you've got to be conscious that you, you can't be all things to all people. So we're, we're really focused on making sure that our, our frozen and chilled offer is is strong this next 12 months. It's as keen as it can be in terms of efficiency. We've got to be looking at automation as much as we can. I'm sure everyone's yeah. looking at what what can robotics do for you, what can uh, systems integration do for you. So we're, we're pushing hard on on how we streamline it in in from a technology perspective, making sure the customer experience is is outstanding because you know we're nothing without our customers and and making sure that the, the you know for, for me it's we've, we've touched on it already making sure that relationship that triangular relationship is seamless between us the brand partners that we work with and their customers because um, if we're not tuned into the ultimate consumer then we're dead in the water so yeah we, we we've got a real strong focus on environmental big focus on csr because if never there's a time that's going to be needed it's now because the the, the, the economy is going to be on its backside for a while uh, and that has an impact on 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 child poverty it's going to it's going to turn the swing the other way unfortunately so we're, we're tuning into that and then we've got some great initiatives that we're working on to do with returnable transit packaging um we, we're strong on direct to consumer and we intend to grow that uh, significantly as well and um, we, we are looking for well proactively looking for more space so it's um it's going to be an wow. interesting year so, so you so you're not slowing down dean by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's uh, i think you know it's funny isn't it when you when you look at businesses and there's no right or wrongs you know we're just we're just used to high growth and yeah. it's a, it's a skill set that we it, it affords us 
um, you know, the, the the luxury of doing that, I suppose. We're, we're a bit rough around the edges in some areas, but we, we are high growth, so we have to mop up behind us as well, make sure we're catching up. Um, but then other other companies that, you know, do a fantastic job, maybe growing at 3 or 4% per year, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a different skill set. And we, we tried doing that, consolidating for one year, and it was awful because, uh, you, you you know, it's, it's a different skill set altogether. But uh, yeah. no, the team are used to us growing fast anyway. They, they, they know I get bored if I stop growing. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the impression that, that that you leave us with, Dean. That 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 sense of you know the drive for this growth is coming from from you and from your from your own sort of motivation and personality. So, thank Dean, thanks so much for, for for talking to me today. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate Oakland's support for the Cold Chain Federation on an ongoing basis. Um, you know, it's great to have companies like yours in our network and willing to share. So, thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much, and um, um, enjoy the well. Good luck with this year. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So that's our show. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Dean's passion for what he does and his entrepreneurial uh, spirit really comes through in, in everything he says and does. And that really is reflected in the business that, that he runs. Oakland's National, a mid-sized business at a time when there are so many uh, big players and so much consolidation, really showing that you know if you can find a niche, you can solve problems for your customers then you do have a clear and uh, positive future in UK cold chain. So more conversations like the one I've had with Dean coming up. Um, I've got a podcast in the diary with Kevin Hancock, who many of you will know as a very experienced um, operator working across a range of businesses over many years in, the, in our industry and always got an interesting uh, insight on, on things. For all the stress and pressure of the post 1st of January Brexit situation and the COVID lockdown. The Culture Federation is in a really strong place. Um, I'm delighted by uh, the way we've started the year. Our new membership director, Sharon Mugel, is um, out talking to many of you and really sort of helping to really take us into our next phase as an organisation. Um, and we're running our event programme. Our culture and conversation last week was fantastic. We've got more of those lined up for the year ahead. And we've also got some more culture and insight events like our transport week in March and our Climate Change Week in May. So please have a look on our website and look at those events. I'm also delighted that we're being asked to get involved in activities of other organisations. I'll be speaking at events for the Institute of Refrigeration and the Institution of Mechanical Engineers in the next couple of weeks, re-spreading our message about the importance of cold chain as a solutions provider to key challenges, particularly around the environmental and climate change issues. Thanks as ever for your support, for listening to this podcast and for your support for the Cold Chain Federation. If you need um, any more help or support from anyone, myself or anyone in the team, please just get in touch. And as I said at the start, please subscribe to this podcast and spread the word to your friends. And until I speak to you again, thanks very much for listening and stay safe.